chapter thirty three of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty three clem lift the dark veil of years behind what waits a human heart vast city where reside all glories and all vilenesses while foul yet silent through the roar of passions rolls the river of the darling sin and bears a life and yet a poison on its tide clem thy wife vict avaunt i've changed that word to scorn clem thy child vict i that strikes home my child my child love and hatred by blank to an obscure town in blankshire there came to reside a young couple whose appearance and habits drew towards them from the neighbouring gossips a more than ordinary attention they bore the name of welford the man assumed the profession of a solicitor he came without introduction or recommendation his manner of life bespoke poverty his address was reserved and even sour and despite the notice and scrutiny with which he was regarded he gained no clients and made no lawsuits the want of all those decent charlatanisms which men of every profession are almost necessitated to employ and the sudden and unushered nature of his coming were perhaps the cause of this ill success his house was too small people said for respectability and little good could be got from a solicitor the very rails round whose door were so sadly in want of repainting then too mrs welford made a vast number of enemies she was beyond all expression beautiful and there was a certain coquetry in her manner which showed she was aware of her attractions all the ladies of blank hated her a few people called on the young couple welford received them coldly their invitations were unaccepted and what was worse they were never returned the devil himself could not have supported an attorney under such circumstances reserved shabby poor rude introductionless a bad house an unpainted railing and a beautiful wife nevertheless though welford was not employed he was as we have said watched on their first arrival which was in summer the young pair were often seen walking together in the fields or groves which surrounded their home sometimes they walked affectionately together and it was observed with what care welford adjusted his wife's cloak or shawl around her slender shape as the cool of the evening increased but often his arm was withdrawn he lingered behind and they continued their walk or returned homeward in silence and apart by degrees whispers circulated throughout the town that the new married couple lived by no means happily the men laid the fault on the stern-looking husband the women on the minx of a wife however the solitary servant whom they kept declared that though mr welford did sometimes frown and mrs welford did sometimes weep they were extremely attached to each other and only quarrelled through love the maid had had four lovers herself and was possibly experienced in such matters they received no visitors near or from a distance and the postman declared he had never seen a letter directed to either 
thus a kind of mystery hung over the pair and made them still more gazed on and still more disliked which is saying a great deal than they would have otherwise been poor as welford was his air and walk eminently bespoke what common persons term gentility and in this he had greatly the advantage of his beautiful wife who though there was certainly nothing vulgar or plebeian in her aspect altogether wanted the refinement of manner look and phrase which characterized welford for about two years they lived in this manner and so frugally and tranquilly that though welford had not any visible means of subsistence no one could well wonder in what manner they did subsist about the end of that time welford suddenly embarked a small sum in a county speculation in the course of this adventure to the great surprise of his neighbours he evinced an extraordinary turn for calculation and his habits plainly bespoke a man both of business and ability this disposal of capital brought a sufficient return to support the welfords if they had been so disposed in rather better style than heretofore they remained however in much the same state and the only difference that the event produced was the retirement of mr welford from the profession he had embraced he was no longer a solicitor it must be allowed that he resigned no great advantages in this retirement about this time some officers were quartered at blank and one of them a handsome lieutenant was so struck with the charms of mrs welford whom he saw at church that he lost no opportunity of testifying his admiration it was maliciously yet not unfoundedly remarked that though no absolute impropriety could be detected in the manner of mrs welford she certainly seemed far from displeased with the evident homage of the young lieutenant a blush tinged her cheek when she saw him and the gallant coxcomb asserted that the blush was not always without a smile emboldened by the interpretations of his vanity in contrasting as every one else did his own animated face and glittering garb with the ascetic and gloomy countenance the unstudied dress and austere gait which destroyed in welford the effect of a really handsome person our lieutenant thought fit to express his passion by a letter which he conveyed to mrs welford's pew mrs welford went not to church that day the letter was found by a good-natured neighbour and enclosed anonymously to the husband whatever in the secrecy of domestic intercourse took place on this event was necessarily unknown but the next sunday the face of mr welford which had never before appeared at church was discerned by one vigilant neighbour probably the anonymous friend not in the same pew with his wife but in a remote corner of the sacred house and once when the lieutenant was watching to read in mrs welford's face some answer to his epistle the same obliging inspector declared that welford's countenance assumed a sardonic and withering sneer that made his very blood to creep however this be the lieutenant left his quarters and mrs welford's reputation remained dissatisfactorily untarnished shortly after this the county speculation failed and it was understood that the welfords were about to leave the town whither none knew some said to jail but then unhappily no debts could be discovered their bills had been next to nothing but at least they had been regularly paid however before the rumoured emigration took place a circumstance equally wonderful to the good people of occurred 
one bright spring morning a party of pleasure from a great house in the vicinity passed through that town most conspicuous of these was a young horseman richly dressed and of a remarkably showy and handsome appearance not a little sensible of the sensation he created this cavalier lingered behind his companions in order to eye more deliberately certain damsels stationed in a window and who were quite ready to return his glances with interest at this moment the horse which was fretting itself fiercely against the rein that restrained it from its fellows took a fright at a knife-grinder started violently to one side and the graceful cavalier who had been thinking not of the attitude best adapted to preserve his equilibrium but to display his figure was thrown with some force upon a heap of bricks and rubbish which had long to the scandal of the neighbourhood stood before the paintless railings around mr welford's house welford himself came out at the time and felt compelled for he was by no means one whose sympathetic emotions flowed easily to give a glance to the condition of a man who lay motionless before his very door the horseman quickly recovered his senses but found himself unable to rise one of his legs was broken supported in the arms of his groom he looked around and his eye met welford's an instant recognition gave life to the face of the former and threw a dark blush over the sullen features of the latter heavens said the cavalier is that hist my lord cried welford quickly interrupting him and glancing round but you are hurt will you enter my house the horseman signified his assent and between the groom and welford was borne within the shabby door of the ex-solicitor the groom was then dispatched with an excuse to the party many of whom were already hastening around the house and though one or two did force themselves across the inhospitable threshold yet so soon as they had uttered a few expletives and felt their stare sink beneath the sullen and chilling asperity of the host they satisfied themselves that though it was darned unlucky for their friend yet they could do nothing for him at present and promising to send to inquire after him the next day they remounted and rode homeward with an eye more attentive than usual to the motion of their steeds they did not however depart till the surgeon of the town had made his appearance and declared that the patient must not on any account be moved a lord's leg was a windfall that did not happen every day to the surgeon of blank all this while we may imagine the state of anxiety experienced in the town and the agonized endurance of those rural nerves which are produced in scanty populations and have so taliacotian a sympathy with the affairs of other people one day two days three days a week a fortnight nay a month passed and the lord was still the inmate of mr welford's abode leaving the gossips to feed on their curiosity cannibals of their own hearts we must give a glance towards the interior of the inhospitable mansion of the ex-solicitor it was towards evening the sufferer was supported on a sofa and the beautiful mrs welford who had officiated as his nurse was placing the pillow under the shattered limb he himself was attempting to seize her hand which she coyly drew back and uttering things sweeter and more polished than she had ever listened to before at this moment welford softly entered he was unnoticed by either and he stood at the door contemplating them with a smile of calm and self-hugging derision the face of mephistopheles regarding margaret and faust might suggest some idea of the picture we designed to paint but the countenance of welford was more lofty as well as comelier in character though not less malignant in expression than that which the incomparable wretch has given to the mocking fiend so utter so congratulatory 
so lordly was the contempt on welford's dark and striking features that though he was in that situation in which ridicule usually attaches itself to the husband it was the gallant and the wife that would have appeared to the beholder in a humiliating and unenviable light after a momentary pause welford approached with a heavy step the wife started but with a bland and smooth expression which since his sojourn in the town of blank had been rarely visible in his aspect the host joined the pair smiled on the nurse and congratulated the patient on his progress towards recovery the nobleman well learned in the usages of the world replied easily and gaily and the conversation flowed on cheerfully enough till the wife who had sat abstracted and apart stealing ever and anon timid glances towards her husband and looks of a softer meaning towards the patient retired from the room welford then gave a turn to the conversation he reminded the nobleman of the pleasant days they had passed in italy of the adventures they had shared and the intrigues they had enjoyed as the conversation warmed it assumed a more free and licentious turn and not a little we ween would the good folks of blank have been amazed could they have listened to the gay jests and the libertine maxims which flowed from the thin lips of that cold and severe welford whose countenance gave the lie to mirth of women in general they spoke with that lively contempt which is the customary tone with men of the world only in welford it assumed a bitterer a deeper and a more philosophical cast than it did in his more animated yet less energetic guest the nobleman seemed charmed with his friend the conversation was just to his taste and when welford had supported him up to bed he shook that person cordially by the hand and hoped he should soon see him in very different circumstances when the peer's door was closed on welford he stood motionless for some moments he then with a soft step ascended to his own chamber his wife slept soundly beside the bed was the infant's cradle as his eyes fell on the latter the rigid irony now habitual to his features relaxed he bent over the cradle long and in deep silence the mother's face blended with the sire's was stamped on the sleeping and cherub countenance before him and as at length rousing from his reverie he kissed it gently he murmured when i look on you i will believe that she once loved me pa he said abruptly and rising this fatherly sentiment for a blank's offering is exquisite in me so saying without glancing towards his wife who disturbed by the loudness of his last words stirred uneasily he left the room and descended into that where he had conversed with his guest he shut the door with caution and striding to and fro the humble apartment gave vent to thoughts marshalled somewhat in the broken array in which they now appear to the reader ay ay she has been my ruin and if i were one of your weak fools who make a gospel of the silliest and most mawkish follies of this social state she would now be my disgrace but instead of my disgrace i will make her my footstool to honour and wealth and then to the devil with the footstool yes two years i have borne what was enough to turn my whole blood into gall inactivity hopelessness a wasted heart and life in myself contumely from the world coldness bickering ingratitude from the one for whom o oh, ass that i was i gave up the most cherished part of my nature rather my nature itself two years i have borne this and now will i have my revenge i will sell her sell her god i will sell her 
like the commonest beast of a market and this paltry piece of false coin shall buy me my world other men's vengeance comes from hatred a base rash unphilosophical sentiment mine comes from scorn the only wise state for the reason to rest in other men's vengeance ruins themselves mine shall save me ha how my soul chuckles when i look at this pitiful pair who think i see them not and know that every moment they make is on a mesh of my web yet and welford paused slowly yet i cannot but mock myself when i think of the arch gall that this boy's madness love love indeed the very word turns me sick with loathing made of me had that woman silly weak automatal as she is really loved me had she been sensible of the unspeakable sacrifice i had made to her antony's was nothing to it he lost a real world only mine was the world of imagination had she but condescended to learn my nature to subdue the woman's devil at her own i could have lived on in this babbling hermitage for ever and fancied myself happy and resigned i could have become a different being i fancy i could have become what your moralists quacks call good but this fretting frivolity of heart this lust of fool's praise this peevishness of temper this sullenness in answer to the moody thought which in me she neither fathomed nor forgave this vulgar daily hourly pining at the paltry pinches of the body's poverty the domestic whine the household complaint when i i have not a thought for such pitiful trials of affection and all this while my curses my buried hope and disguised spirit and sunken name not thought of the magnitude of my surrender to her not even comprehended nay her inconveniences a dim hearth i suppose or a daintiless table compared i absolutely compared with all which i abandoned for her sake as if it were not enough had i been a fool an ambitionless soulless fool the mere thought that i had linked my name to that of a tradesman i beg pardon a retired tradesman as if that knowledge a knowledge i would strangle my whole race every one who has ever met seen me rather than they should penetrate were not enough when she talks of comparing to make me gnaw the very flesh from my bones no 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 never was there so bright a turn in my fate as when this titled coxcomb with his smooth voice and gaudy fripperies came hither i will make her a tool to carve my escape from this cavern wherein she has plunged me i will foment my lord's passion till my lord thinks the passion a butterfly's passion worth any price i will then make my own terms bind my lord to secrecy and get rid of my wife my shame and the obscurity of mr welford for ever bright bright prospects let me shut my eyes to enjoy you but softly my noble friend calls himself a man of the world skilled in human nature and a derider of its prejudices true enough in his own little way thanks not to enlarged views but a vicious experience so he is the book of the world is a vast miscellany he is perfectly well acquainted doubtless with those pages that treat of the fashions profoundly versed i warrant in the magasin des modes tacked to the end of the index but shall i even with all the mastership which my mind must exercise over his shall i be able utterly to free myself in this peer of the world's mind from a degrading remembrance 
cuckold cuckold tis an ugly word a convenient willing cuckold humph there is no grandeur no philosophical varnish in the phrase let me see yes i have a remedy for all that i was married privately well under disguised names well it was a stolen marriage far from her town well witnesses unknown to her well proofs easily secured to my possession excellent the fool shall believe it a, a forged marriage an ingenious gallantry of mine i will wash out the stain cuckold with the water of another word i will make market of a mistress not a wife i will warn him not to acquaint her with this secret let me consider for what reason oh my son's legitimacy may be convenient to me hereafter he will understand that reason and i will have his honour thereon and by the way i do care for that legitimacy and will guard the proofs i love my child ambitious men do love their children i may become a lord myself and may wish for a lord to succeed me and that son is mine thank heaven i am sure on that point the only child too that ever shall arise to me never i swear will i again put myself beyond my own power all my nature save one passion i have hitherto mastered that passion shall henceforth be my slave my only thought be ambition my only mistress be the world as thus terminated the reverie of a man whom the social circumstances of the world were calculated as if by system to render eminently and basely wicked welford slowly ascended the stairs and re-entered his chamber his wife was still sleeping her beauty was of the fair and girlish and harmonized order which lovers and poets would express by the word angelic and as welford looked upon her face hushed and almost hallowed by slumber a certain weakness and irresolution might have been discernible in the strong lines of his haughty features at that moment as if forever to destroy the return of hope or virtue to either her lips moved they uttered one word it was the name of welford's courtly guest about three weeks from that evening mrs welford eloped with the young nobleman and on the morning following that event the distracted husband with his child disappeared for ever from the town of blank from that day no tidings whatsoever respecting him ever reached the titillated ears of his anxious neighbours and doubt curiosity discussion gradually settled into the belief that his despair had hurried him into suicide although the unfortunate mrs welford was in reality of a light and frivolous turn and above all susceptible to personal vanity she was not without ardent affections and keen sensibilities her marriage had been one of love that is to say on her part the ordinary love of girls who love not through actual and natural feeling so much as forced predisposition her choice had fallen on one superior to herself in birth and far above all in person and address whom she had habitually met thus her vanity had assisted her affection and something strange and eccentric in the temper and mind of welford had though at times it aroused her fear greatly contributed to inflame her imagination then too though ununcourtly he had been a passionate and a romantic lover she was sensible that he gave up for her much that he had previously conceived necessary to his existence and she stopped not to inquire how far this devotion was likely to last or what conduct on her part might best perpetuate the feelings from which it sprang she had eloped with him she had consented to a private marriage she had passed one happy month and then delusion vanished mrs welford was not a woman who could give to reality or find in it the charm equal to delusion 
she was perfectly unable to comprehend the intricate and dangerous character of her husband she had not the key to his virtues nor the spell for his vices neither was the state to which poverty compelled them one well calculated for that tender meditation heightened by absence and cherished in indolence which so often supplies one who loves with the secret to the nature of the one beloved though not equal to her husband in birth or early prospects mrs welford had been accustomed to certain comforts often more felt by those who belong to the inferior classes than by those appertaining to the more elevated who in losing one luxury will often cheerfully surrender all a fine lady can submit to more hardships than her woman and every gentleman who travels smiles at the privations which agonize his valet poverty and its grim comrades made way for a whole host of petty irritations and peevish complaints and as no guest or visitor ever relieved the domestic discontent or broke on the domestic bickering they generally ended in that moody sullenness which so often finds love a grave in repentance nothing makes people tire of each other like a familiarity that admits of carelessness in quarrelling and coarseness in complaining the biting sneer of welford gave acrimony to the murmur of his wife and when once each conceived the other the injurer or him or herself the wronged it was vain to hope that one would be more wary or the other more indulgent they both exacted too much and the wife in especial conceded too little mrs welford was altogether and emphatically what a libertine calls a woman such as a frivolous education makes a woman generous in great things petty in small vain irritable full of the littleness of herself and her complaints ready to plunge into an abyss with her lover but equally ready to fret away all love with reproaches when the plunge had been made of all men welford could bear this the least a woman of a larger heart a more settled experience and an intellect capable of appreciating his character and sounding all his qualities might have made him perhaps a useful and a great man and at least her lover for life amidst a harvest of evil feelings the mere strength of his nature rendered him especially capable of intense feeling and generous emotion one who relied on him was safe one who rebelled against him trusted only to the caprice of his scorn still however for two years love though weakening with each hour fought on in either breast and could scarcely be said to be entirely vanquished in the wife even when she eloped with her handsome seducer a french writer has said pithily enough compare for a moment the apathy of a husband with the attention the gallantry the adoration of a lover and can you ask the result he was a french writer but mrs welford had in her temper much of the french woman a suffering patient young handsome well versed in the arts of intrigue contrasted with a gloomy husband whom she had never comprehended long feared and had lately doubted if she disliked ah a much weaker contrast has made many a much better woman food for the lawyers mrs welford eloped but she felt a revived tenderness for her husband on the very morning that she did so she carried away with her his letters of love as well as her own which when they first married she had in an hour of fondness collected together then an inestimable board and never did her new lover receive from her beautiful lips half so passionate a kiss as she had left on the cheek of her infant for some months she enjoyed with her paramour all for which she had sighed in her home the one for whom she had forsaken her legitimate ties was a person 
so habitually cheerful courteous and what is ordinarily termed good-natured though he had in him as much of the essence of selfishness as any nobleman can decently have that he continued gallant to her without an effort long after he had begun to think it possible to tire even of so lovely a face yet there were moments when the fickle wife recalled her husband with regret and contrasting him with her seducer did not find all the colourings of the contrast flattering to the latter there is something in a powerful and marked character which women and all weak natures feel themselves constrained to respect and welford's character thus stood in bold and therefore advantageous though gloomy relief when opposed to the levities and foibles of this guilty woman's present adorer however this be the die was cast and it would have been policy for the lady to have made the best of her present game but she who had murmured as a wife was not complacent as a mistress reproaches made an interlude to caresses which the noble lover by no means admired he was not a man to retort he was too indolent but neither was he one to forbear my charming friend said he one day after a scene you weary of me nothing more natural why torment each other you say i have ruined you my sweet friend let me make you reparation become independent i will settle an annuity upon you fly me seek happiness elsewhere and leave your unfortunate your despairing lover to his fate do you taunt me my lord cried the angry fair or do you believe that money can replace the rights of which you have robbed me can you make me again a wife a happy a respected wife do this my lord and you atone to me the nobleman smiled and shrugged his shoulders the lady yet more angrily repeated her question the lover answered by an innuendo which at once astonished and doubly enraged her she eagerly demanded explanation and his lordship who had gone further than he intended left the room but his words had sunk deep into the breast of this unhappy woman and she resolved to procure an elucidation agreeably to the policy which stripped the fabled traveller of his cloak she laid aside the storm and preferred the sunshine she watched a moment of tenderness turned the opportunity to advantage and by little and little she possessed herself of a secret which sickened her with shame disgust and dismay sold bartered the object of a contemptuous huckstering to the purchaser and the seller sold too with a lie that debased her at once into an object for whom even pity was mixed with scorn robbed already of the name and honour of a wife and transferred as a harlot from the wearied arms of one lamond to the capricious caresses of another such was the image that rose before her and while it roused at one moment all her fiercer passions into madness humbled with the next her vanity into the dust she who knew the ruling passion of welford saw at a glance the object of scorn and derision which she had become to him while she imagined herself the betrayer she had been betrayed she saw vividly before her and shuddered as she saw her husband's icy smile his serpent eye his features steeped in sarcasm and all his mocking soul stamped upon the countenance whose lightest derision was so galling she turned from this picture and saw the courtly face of the purchaser his subdued smile at her reproaches his latent sneer at her claims to a station which he had been taught by the arch plotter to believe she had never possessed she saw his early weariness of her attractions expressed with respect indeed 
an insulting respect but felt without a scruple of remorse she saw in either as around only a reciprocation of contempt she was in a web of profound abasement even that haughty grief of conscience for a crime committed to another which if it stings humbles not was swallowed up in a far more agonizing sensation to one so vain as the adulteress the burning sense of shame at having herself while sinning been the duped and deceived her very soul was appalled with her humiliation the curse of welford's vengeance was on her and it was wreaked to the last whatever kindly sentiment she might have experienced towards her protector was swallowed up at once by this discovery she could not endure the thought of meeting the eye of one who had been the gainer by this ignominious barter the foibles and weaknesses of the lover assumed a despicable as well as hateful die and in feeling herself degraded she loathed him the day after she had made the discovery we have referred to mrs welford left the house of her protector none knew whither for two years from that date all trace of her history was lost at the end of that time what was welford a man rapidly rising in the world distinguished at the bar where his first brief had lifted him into notice commencing a flattering career in the senate holding lucrative and honourable offices esteemed for the austere rectitude of his moral character gathering the golden opinions of all men as he strode onward to public reputation he had reassumed his hereditary name his early history was unknown and no one in the obscure and distant town of blank had ever guessed that the humble welford was the william brandon whose praise was echoed in so many journals and whose rising genius was acknowledged by all that asperity roughness and gloom which had noted him at blank and which being natural to him he deigned not to disguise in a station ungenial to his talents and below his hopes were now glitteringly varnished over by an hypocrisy well calculated to aid his ambition so learnedly could this singular man fit himself to others that few among the great met him as a companion nor left him without the temper to become his friend through his noble rival that is to make our readers surety doubly sure through lord malevrer he had acquired his first lucrative office a certain patronage from government and his seat in parliament if he had persevered at the bar rather than given himself entirely to state intrigues it was only because his talents were eminently more calculated to advance him in the former path to honour than in the latter so devoted was he become to public life that he had only permitted himself to cherish one private source of enjoyment his son as no one not even his brother knew he had been married during the two years of his disguised name he had been supposed abroad the appearance of this son made the only piece of scandal whispered against the rigid morality of his fair fame but he himself waiting his own time for avowing a legitimate heir gave out that it was the orphan child of a dear friend whom he had known abroad and the puritan demureness not only of life but manner which he assumed gained a pretty large belief to the statement this son brandon idolized as we have represented himself to say ambitious men are commonly fond of their children beyond the fondness of other sires the perpetual reference which the ambitious make to posterity is perhaps the main reason for brandon was also fond of children generally philoprogenitiveness was a marked trait in his character and would seem to belie the hardness and artifice belonging to that character were not the same love so frequently noticeable in the harsh and the artificial it seems as if a half-conscious but pleasing feeling that they two were once gentle and innocent 
makes them delight in reviving any sympathy with their early state often after the applause and labour of the day brandon would repair to his son's chamber and watch his slumber for hours often before his morning toil commenced he would nurse the infant in his arms with all a woman's natural tenderness and gushing joy and often as a graver and more characteristic sentiment stole over him he would mentally say you shall build up our broken name on a better foundation than your sire i begin too late in life and i labour up a painful and stony road but i shall make the journey to fame smooth and accessible for you never to while you aspire to honour shall you steel your heart to tranquillity for you my child shall be the joys of home and love and a mind that does not sicken at the past and strain through mere forgetfulness towards a solitary and barren distinction for the future not only what your father gains you shall enjoy but what has cursed him his vigilance shall lead you to shun it was thus not only that his softer feelings but all the better and nobler ones which even in the worst and hardest bosom find some root turned towards his child and that the hollow and vicious man promised to become the affectionate and perhaps the wise parent one night brandon was returning home on foot from a ministerial dinner the night was frosty and clear the hour was late and his way lay through the longest and best-lighted streets of the metropolis he was as usual buried in thought when he was suddenly aroused from his reverie by a light touch laid on his arm he turned and saw one of the unhappy persons who haunt the midnight streets of cities standing right before his path the gaze of each fell upon the other and it was thus for the first time since they had laid their heads on the same pillow that the husband met the wife the skies were intensely clear and the lamplight was bright and calm upon the faces of both there was no doubt in the mind of either suddenly and with a startled and ghastly consciousness they recognized each other the wife staggered and clung to a post for support brandon's look was calm and unmoved the hour that his bitter and malignant spirit had yearned for was come his nerves expanded in a voluptuous calmness as if to give him a deliberate enjoyment of his hope fulfilled whatever the words that in that unwitnessed and almost awful interview passed between them we may be sure that brandon spared not one atom of his power the lost and abandoned wife returned home and all her nature imbruted as it had become by guilt and vile habits hardened into revenge that preternatural feeling which may be termed the hope of despair three nights from that meeting brandon's house was broken into like the houses of many legal men it lay in a dangerous and thinly populated outskirt of the town and was easily accessible to robbery he was awakened by a noise he started and found himself in the grasp of two men at the foot of the bed stood a female raising a light and her face haggard with searing passions and ghastly with the leprous whiteness of disease and approaching death glared full upon him it is now my turn said the female with a grin of scorn which brandon himself might have envied you have cursed me and i return the curse you have told me that my child shall never name me but to blush fool i triumph over you ye he shall never know to his dying day you have told me that to my child and my child's child a long transmission of execration my name the name of the wife you basely sold to ruin and to hell should be left as a legacy of odium and shame man you shall teach that child no further lesson whatever you shall know not whether he live or die or have children to carry on your boasted race or whether if he have those children be not outcasts of the earth the accursed of man and god the fit offspring of the thing you have made me wretch i hurl back on you the denunciation 
with which when we met three nights since you would have crushed the victim of your own perfidy you shall tread the path of your ambition childless and objectless and hopeless disease shall set her stamp upon your frame the worm shall batten upon your heart you shall have honours and enjoy them not you shall gain your ambition and despair you shall pine for your son and find him not or if you find him you shall curse the hour in which he was born mark me man i am dying while i speak i know that i am a prophet in my curse from this hour i am avenged and you are my scorn as the hardest nature sink appalled before the stony eye of the maniac so in the dead of the night pinioned by ruffians the wild and solemn voice sharpened by passion and partial madness of the ghastly figure before him curdling through his veins even the haughty and daring character of william brandon quailed he uttered not a word he was found the next morning bound by strong cords to his bed he spoke not when he was released but went in silence to his child's chamber the child was gone several articles of property were also stolen the desperate tools the mother had employed worked not perhaps without their own reward we need scarcely add that brandon set every engine and channel of justice in motion for the discovery of his son all the especial shrewdness and keenness of his own character aided by his professional experience he employed for years in the same pursuit every research was wholly in vain not the remotest vestige towards discovery could be traced until it were found we have recorded when some of the articles that had been stolen fate treasured in her gloomy womb altogether undescribed by man the hour and the scene in which the most ardent wish of william brandon was to be realized End of chapter 23